This message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. Amen. If you could turn to Psalm 74, be grateful. I, I think this new series, uh, Boundary Stones, hopefully you all had one of these on your way in. This new series that we're starting, um, I feel like it'll be the most important thing we've ever taught. That's what I feel. And, um, and will secure us now and for years to come. I know that's a big statement to make, but I believe that is what God wants to do. This will be the most important things we've ever taught and will secure us now and for years to come. In Psalm 74, and I want this morning essentially to set the scene for what we'll be covering over the coming months together. Psalm 74, verse 16 I'm reading uh, today from the NIV. The day is yours, and yours also the night. You established the sun and moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. It was the Lord who set all the boundaries of the earth. And we'll come back to that in, in just a moment. And the other verse, just to turn you, maybe you could just look at it on here if you want. It's in Proverbs 22, verse 28. And it says, Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. Proverbs 22, 28. So just a couple of verses to um, get us thinking. Uh, boundaries. I don't know what comes into your mind when you hear that word, boundaries. I don't know whether that word is um, towards the negative end of the spectrum for you or the positive, boundaries. Um, and we'll come on to say more about that in a moment as well. But, but boundaries really matter to the Lord. The Lord sets limits he divides things fairly. He marks borders. He gives permission for nature and people to go so far but no further. Yeah. Okay. I'll use the handheld if that is better. Are we back? Where did you lose me? Did you, did you hear anything so far? Oh, good. Is that good? Can you hear me again now? Okay, let me take this. Oh. Hello. Okay. Uh, what I said was boundaries really matter to the Lord. And um, the Lord sets limits and he divides things fairly. I'll explain all this in a moment. And he gives permission for nature and people to go so far but no further. And the boundaries that God sets are, are never to restrict us, but actually truly to release us. And to refresh us. And they're never to hinder us, but to help us. And to heal us. And so let me just begin with um, five areas where the Lord sets boundaries. And the first is in, in creation itself. We read a verse at the beginning. The day is yours and yours also the night. You established the sun and moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. Proverbs 8. We'll turn to a few scriptures this morning. Proverbs 8. Verse 27, the, this passage is, um, 
is headed up Wisdom's Call. And it personifies wisdom. And uh, wisdom says, The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. That's in verse 23. But listen to verse 27, Proverbs 8, 27. I was there when the heavens, when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizons on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. It's a grand picture, isn't it? Of how God created things. You could go into Genesis and read more detail of how God created, how he separated things, how he established boundaries, how he set things in place. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 22, the Lord says, Should you not fear me? Should you not tremble in my presence? I made the sand a boundary for the sea, an everlasting barrier it cannot cross. The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. God set this boundary. The tides can go so far, but no further. And um, we should take very special note of the things set and established in creation. Creation principles. Orders established by God. The headship that exists first in the Godhead and in the home and in the church and in the family. You know, the the two original sins, the sin of Lucifer and the sin of Adam, were both sins involving a usurping of God's created order. Lucifer wanted to exalt himself, to usurp the order God had set in place, to be like God. Adam and Eve wanted to have have their say rather than submit to the order God had put in place. Come back to that in a moment as well, in just now. That's the first thing. God has set boundaries in creation. Secondly, God has set boundaries of our freedom. And he set boundaries to keep us from sinning. To keep us from destroying our relationship with God. If you turn to Genesis 2, what I'm trying to do is set the scene for the various topics we will explore in the coming weeks and months together. Genesis 2, verse 16. Well, let's read from 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. We could talk a lot about this, but it's amazing, isn't it? The Lord said, you are free, Adam, to eat anything any tree in this magnificent garden. It's all yours, Adam. But you're not free to eat from that one tree. God set a boundary to Adam's freedom. You are free, Adam, but you must not. And I think there's, a, there's, a, there's an echo of that for us today. You are free, but you must not. Freedom has limits. I am free to love my wife, but I must not love any other woman. I'm free to enjoy intimacy with her, but I'm not free to enjoy intimacy, real or imagined, with anybody else. I'm free to enjoy food and drink, but I must not be a glutton or a drunkard. I'm free, but there are limits. 
God has put restrictions in our place for our blessing and our benefit. There are boundaries of freedom. Okay? And then there are boundaries in, in um, if I could put it this, in the promised land. There are boundaries in our inheritance. And literally, when, when, the, uh, when God took his people into the promised land, he, there's several chapters in the Bible that talk about all the boundaries around their land. There are boundaries to protect them from their enemies. There are boundaries to divide up the land between the tribes. And those boundaries were established according to the size of the tribe, so that there was equality and fairness, so each group of people had enough resources, so there was justice and fairness in the land. So, for example, in Numbers 34, you could just listen or turn to it, Numbers 34, the Lord said to Moses, command the Israelites and say to them, when you enter Canaan, the land that will be allotted to you as an inheritance is to have these boundaries. And then at the end, in, in, in verse 12, it says, this will be your land with its boundaries on every side. If you look in uh, Joshua, chapters 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, you'll find those five or six chapters. It talks about how the land was divided, all the boundaries that were to be set in place. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is... Uh, preaching in Athens. And he says this. It's interesting how he, how he puts this. Acts 17, verse 25. He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. Even in our inheritance, we have a great inheritance. There's much to explore. There's much to enjoy. But God sets limits and boundaries. There are God-imposed limitations that we each, uh, that we each have. They're part of the way he made us. We, we have in the church a variety of gifts and graces, and ministries, and, and measures of things. There's variety in the church. And the key to enjoying my own inheritance is to know its boundaries, and to honor yours. God has brought us in together into a great inheritance. And then linked to that, fourthly, there are boundaries in community life. Set in place to maintain unity and good relationships. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 19, verse 14, it says, Do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by your predecessors in the inheritance you receive in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So not only within the tribal areas, but now every, every family has boundary stones. Deuteronomy 27, 17 says, Cursed is anyone who moves their neighbor's boundary stone. You know, it tells me that we are to respect and honor one another and defend each other and stand up for each other and, and allow no jealousy or envy or wishing we had our neighbor's lot. God has set boundaries. And then the, the fifth area, the last area I just want to mention, is that there are boundaries in our revelation. God has set boundaries to establish things we are permitted to look into and inquire about and understand and those which are out of bounds. Uh, and, and the verse I have in mind is this, Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. I find that a really encouraging verse. There are some things we can never know that will remain mysteries. 
The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The revealed things belong to us and to our children. That's important, isn't it? All the revelation we received, one generation shall tell another. The revealed things belong to us and our children. But there are, there are some secret things. And I find that encouraging because um, it means I don't have to understand everything to be secure. It means there will be some things I perhaps will never be able to... Well, no, there will be some things for sure I will never be able to explain. They will remain mysteries. And, and, and far from causing us insecurity, that should make us secure. We don't have to know everything. We don't have to, we don't have, to have a revelation on everything. And some things God has chosen to keep secret. Wouldn't we love to be able to explain everything? Understand everything, all the challenges we face sometimes. Lord, what's all this about? What does this mean? And there are some things, God says, the secret things belong to me. The revealed things belong to you. So, God sets boundaries. He says this far, but no further. This is permitted. This is off limits. This is yours. This is mine, God says. This is my created order but this violates and usurps it. You're free to do all of this, but not this. You have a great inheritance, but you need each other. You're a community, so honor one another. I want to give you revelation, but this is a mystery. You understand? God sets boundaries. And also note as well, there's a great relationship between foundations and boundaries. I love the fact that there's no ceiling, but there are foundations and boundaries. So a couple of those things we read, refer to those things. Psalm 104, if you just turn there, we didn't, uh, I don't think we read this yet. Psalm 104. Psalm 104, verse 1. It's just a great psalm. Well, it's a silly statement, that, isn't it? This is a great psalm. It's one of the great psalms. Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes, wi- the, he makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundation. It can never be moved. You covered it with the deep, with deep, with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you'd assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. It's referring to the, to the flood, of course. And then also in um, Proverbs 8, 29... We read this earlier on, when he, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. Beautiful, isn't it? You know, when we honor God's ways, we have a solid and secure base, and we have clear and definite borders, boundaries, limits. And we want our church to be built on solid and secure foundations. The Bible talks about the foundation of apostle and prophet with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And we want the church to be built with clear and definite boundaries. We need boundaries just as much as we need foundations. 
And all of that brings me to why this series matters so much. And, um, and just to say, by the way, when we began this year, um, we, we met as, as elders and leaders to talk about what we would teach, what we would preach. And, and we just felt that for the first few months, we, would, we, would just, um, we wouldn't have a, a particular theme. There's been a few things we've come in and out of, but that God would make something very clear. And do you remember when Roger was with us and he, he talked about five or six things that we must not let go of? And one of the things he mentioned was this verse in Proverbs, do not move ancient boundary stones. And as Roger said that, I felt God say, this is, the, this is to be your focus now, these boundary stones. Why is this? Because there is an unprecedented attack on the word of God. There is an assault against orthodox Christian belief and doctrine. Boundary stones are being moved in direct contradiction of the command of the Lord, do not move an ancient boundary stone. I know there's a context for that. I believe that the boundary stones concerning creation, I know people are trying to move them, concerning men and women, the boundary stones concerning freedom are being moved. Concerning grace, the nature of grace, the nature of sin. Boundary stones concerning our inheritance. People are pushing them. The gifts, the graces, how the body functions. Boundary stones concerning the community are being moved. What does it mean to express covenant together? Be a community together. The boundary stones concerning God's revelation are being pushed and shifted as men try and add their own explanations to things that God has said are to remain secret. And a number of things are happening. There is a prevailing view in the world, people call it a postmodern view, that rejects anything that's certain and celebrates pluralism, multiple ideas, multiple philosophies, and, um, and really celebrates the individual and the personal. I was thinking about this as I, as I upgraded my BBC News app, that now I could, have, I could actually select exactly the kind of news I'd like to read. They said, you can have, you can have, a, you can have now my news. And it's just a little thing, isn't it? But, but everything's about me and mine. My preferences, my news, my playlist my choices, my freedoms, and that quickly becomes my church, my Jesus, my doctrine. And so in that context, there are waves of heresy washing into the church. I don't know how aware of these things you will be. There is a wave of heresy teaching that there is no such thing as hell that hell is not a real place of real torment because a loving God wouldn't punish anybody. There's a wave of similarly related wave of, of, of false doctrine which says everybody will be saved. God wouldn't. Uh, God who loves everybody and wants everybody to be saved will not allow anybody to go unsaved. So a doctrine of universal reconciliation. Everybody will be saved. None will perish. There's a doctrine, um, an insidious doctrine, uh, which is preaching a very exaggerated view of grace. People people call it the hyper-grace movement. That God's grace, God's love, if I could put it this way, trumps all his other characteristics. So that God loves us and God God is, is full of grace towards us, And therefore, we don't need to confess our sins. We don't need to repent. The Old Testament is irrelevant today because God's grace um, triumphs over everything. That God's grace somehow eclipses his righteousness, his holiness, his demand for purity. It's insidious because there's so much 
truth in some of those things. But there's excess in it to take us away from sound doctrine. This is an introduction. We'll talk about all of the things in some more detail. There's obviously um, a, a doctrine that has washed into the church with great rapidity to say that people of the same sex can be married. That a man can marry a man, a woman can marry a woman. And that that is an acceptable alternative lifestyle. There's a, there's a wave which has been around a while now um, what would I say? Um, violating the nature, the meaning of prosperity. To tell us that God wants us to be materially rich and that material wealth is a mark of his blessing to be exalted above all other things, above integrity and humility. And that sowing really means sowing into somebody's ministry. Many, again, many, many aspects of that we say, amen. But there's, there's error in it to take God's people away from sound doctrine. There's much being taught about the, um, the place of Israel in the purposes of God and questions, and we'll try and address these, how the church and Israel relate together, whether the Old Testament promises made to Israel do or don't apply to the church, whether God has any interest in the land in the Middle East, We'll look at all those things. Thanks, Rich. <laughs> there's, there's much being said, as we know, concerning the role of women. And, and, and at its heart, makes a case that there's no fundamental difference between men and women. That God has made us without distinctions. And therefore, a man and a woman can do exactly the same things. All of these things concern our approach to the scriptures, to the word of God. Is it to be analyzed, criticized, and consulted from time to time? Or is it to be believed and obeyed at all times? And many people are, um, are lifting up the anchor and um, choosing their preferences and um, rejecting the authority of the scriptures and embracing gospels that are man-centered and therefore are not good news at all. Okay? I'll try and lighten the atmosphere, but... Uh, <laughs> you know, what's really happening is, uh, and, and this, this, is, this is not to lighten the atmosphere, this is to be very serious, demonic powers are at work. Pushing and seeking to alter the landscape. Moving the stones around. Changing the boundaries. Resetting the limits. Usurping the order. And I read this verse in, in Job yesterday. It says, those, there are those who move boundary stones and they pasture flocks they have stolen. So you can picture it, can't you? There's, there's some boundary stones and and one, one man's sheep are this side, another man's that, and he moves the stones and takes some sheep. And that's what happens with false teachers, false doctrines, who move boundary stones and begin to steal God's sheep. Job 24, verse 2. None of this should surprise us. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Other versions say doctrines of demons. He says, a time will come, that's 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. And in uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, it's worth turning to this one. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. One Timothy four verse one, the, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Two Timothy four verse three says, "A time will come 
when men will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, or in accordance with their own lusts. 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, isn't that telling? Itching ears want to hear. I'd love, I'd love that to be the truth. I'll gather around me some teachers that will teach me that. I'd love to indulge that lust. So I'm going to gather teachers that will teach things that enable me to indulge my lusts. And in Jude, if you turn to Jude, the book just right at the end before Revelation... Jude, verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I think, this is, I think he's in that dilemma. I, I want, I'd like to keep things <laughs> bright and light. Although I, um, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose con- condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. And by the way, um, we're not saying that for one moment. Slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. One, um, one well-known Christian, well, one, one well-known author, former pastor, recently said this. And he was, he was speaking about the, what he called the inevitability that the church would embrace same-sex marriage. He said, I think culture is already there, and the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. When you have in front of you flesh and blood people who are your brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and co-workers and neighbors, and they love each other, And they just want to go through life together. It was that statement in there, the church will become, continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. I'm, I'm glad he distanced himself from the church because he doesn't speak for the church. But let me just say this, you know, the Bible isn't our best defense. We are not on the defensive. And the Bible is not a defensive weapon. It's far more than that. It is defensive, but it's far more than that. The Word of God, turn to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, verse 12, says the Word of God, hallelujah, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You see, the Bible isn't the case for the defense. It's the judge of all things. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness. Ephesians 6, 17 says the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And we know the spirit brings liberty and freedom. I know, you know, the word of God is the most positive, liberating, life-giving power against All false and demonic teaching there is. Amen. If you just turn back and um, draw things sort of to a close. There is one of Paul's letters, isn't it, where he says, 
finally, brothers, and then there's about another two or three chapters still to come. So finally, friends, <coughs> um, the pastoral epistles, um, namely 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, are letters by um, Paul to Timothy and Titus, and, and the, the situation for each of them is that Timothy has been left in Ephesus, and Titus has been left in Crete. And when you read through them, and I would encourage you to do this very regularly, these books, especially um, if you have any sense of the hand of God on your life, these books will really help you. Um, both Timothy and Titus, in their different situations, and this is what, some of the latest letters that Paul wrote, in fact, um, Second Timothy, probably the last letter he wrote, um, he's urging them to stand their ground and contend for the faith. Because evidently, as you read the letters, there are false doctrines, there are false teachings, there are heresies that are doing the rounds. Very little of what we have talked about this morning has anything new in it, by the way. Very, there's nothing new under the sun. And Paul writes to Timothy and Titus, he, he refers to false doctrines, he refers to myths, controversies, and at one time, he just calls them foolish and stupid arguments. And, of course, things taught by demons. But he says, um, he says as a result of these things, have a look at verse 19. Uh, well, let's look at 18. 1 Timothy 1, 18. Because, because you know, this is really serious. Um. It's not for us really negative at all. It's really positive. But it is really serious. 1 Timothy 1.18. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them, you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these, and so have shipwrecked their faith. That's where this ends up. You, you move, remove the boundaries, you, you take your feet off the foundations. It won't be long, friends, before your faith is shipwrecked. He says they've shipwrecked their faith. In, in 2 Timothy, chapter 2, uh, verse, uh, let's read from verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Wow. Wow. In Titus chapter 1, verse 11, verse 10. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they're ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. They're teaching for money, things they shouldn't teach, and whole households are being ruined. This is, um, this is really serious business. You know, this isn't, this isn't like a school debate. It's not, it's not the hustings. This is life and death matters. And it means some people are dying and being killed because of false doctrine, heresy, things that ought not to be taught, doctrines of demons. And Paul gives um, Timothy and Titus responsibility to put things straight, to stand up. And a um, uh, great opportunity of sharing on this verse in a conference recently. Titus 2 verse 1. He says to Titus, uh, the previous verses he talked about these false teachers. And then he says, but you, however, you, Timothy, you, Titus rather, you must teach what is in accord 
with sound doctrine. The, the word he uses for sound doctrine is a word from which we get the English word hygiene. Sound doctrine is hygienic. It's healthy. It's wholesome. It's good for us. It keeps the church in good working order. It means to be free from incapacity, to be free from debilitation, to be free from handicap, to work holistically, all parts working together. Sound doctrine will be very healthy doctrine. It will be really practical because um, sound doctrine will always teach us what to do. Our, you know, our, our behavior will always line up with our theology. What we believe about God. That was the first, that was Adam's sin. Did God really say this? Suddenly his theology was skew with and he sinned. What you believe will determine what you do. Your behavior will follow your theology and sound doctrine will be really practical and will help us do the right things. But I love the fact that he says, you, however, Timothy, and I just want you to take this for yourself this morning. You, however. For us as elders, for any who are leading in the church, all our life group leaders, all our musicians, all our singers, all our children's workers, everybody who serves in any way whatsoever, you, however, stay close to sound doctrine. Whatever anybody else is teaching, whatever, whatever else you hear, whatever else you see on, on the TV, whatever you might read or hear, you, however, you, however, stay rooted, founded, bounded by sound doctrine. Don't come on. Don't come under any pressure. Elders, we must not be under any pressure or intimidation to veer away from sound doctrine. I don't give two hoots where culture is. Culture is there. The church will catch up. That's what he was saying. We stand on the sound doctrine of the word of God. No intimidation, no pressure. We teach what is in accordance with sound doctrine. Amen. If you turn um, to Ephesians, nearly finished. By the way, um, sound doctrine is not necessarily what the academics and the professors tell us. It's what's been revealed to the apostles and prophets. And sometimes there's a world of difference. And that will become increasingly significant to us. Doctrine that is revealed. The secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children. Sound doctrine doesn't mean every every academic understands it. There are things that come by revelation. I'm not saying we're unorthodox in any way. I'm not saying it's not tested in any way. But there are some things that you can read a hundred commentaries and still not, still not understand it. But something comes by revelation. It's wonderful, isn't it? Um, it's also vital we realize, we come to Ephesians in a, in a moment. Um, it's vital to realize that sound doctrine is never gloomy or negative or outdated but is always life-giving, liberating, positive, affirming, and good for us. And by embracing it, and this is, this is um, our belief. Tell me if you agree with me. I believe if we will embrace sound doctrine, if we will love the word, if we will practice it, if we will uphold it, then many hundreds and hundreds of people will find life and security and truth amongst us 
over the coming years. I don't believe we need ever apologize for being biblical. Well, of course I don't. I'm just saying, never apologize for being biblical, for being orthodox, for still living within the boundaries of ancient boundary stones. Ancient boundary stones shouldn't change with the times. They are ancient boundary stones. Jesus tells a, uh, I don't know why I told you to turn to Ephesians. I think I just saw Ephesians in my notes and we are going to get there. Um, Jesus tells a story in Matthew 7 about two men building houses. The man who built his house on sand and the man who built his house on rock. And you know the story well. The man who built his house on sand could not survive the storms and the shifting of sands. And that is the day we're living in, folks. Waves coming in, crashing into the church, false doctrine coming in, doctrines of demons coming in. And if the house is built on sand, it will come tumbling down. But Jesus said, if you build on my words, you'll be building on rock and the storms will not affect the house. These are days for all of us to be just like Titus and say, as for me and my household, as for our church, as for the people we're working with, we will stand firm on solid foundations and with clear boundaries. So over the next few months, we will consider topics like covenant, marriage, headship, the restoration of all things, heaven and hell, and what the bride of Christ will be like, and some other things, the cross, what happened. Ephesians, I knew we'd get there. It's not a proper sermon unless I've turned to Ephesians. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 13. Let's read from 11. No, let's read from 9. No, no, let's get to 7. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 7. Let's start at Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> no, Ephesians 4, verse 7. To each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I think that'd be one, that might be one of those mysteries. <laughs> then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things... Grow up into him who is the head. We will grow up into him who is the head. We, church, will grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligaments, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The goal of our teaching over the coming months is maturity, fullness, and security. That we would not be tossed about. That we will know the great liberty that comes from having strong foundations 
and clear boundaries. That we will know what we believe and why we believe it. That we'll be able to give an answer concerning the hope that we have. That we'll be, we will be passionate about not moving, not moving ancient boundary stones. And uh, I just want to finish with something King David said. It's in Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6. I believe, I believe this will be an outcome of, of our teaching, that we'd all be able to say with King David, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Amen. Amen. If you would um, just turn your hearts to the Lord, I'm going to just pray this psalm over us. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word stands true eternally. You've established your word in the heavens. In the beginning was the word. And Lord, you have set order and foundation and boundary into creation itself expressed in every aspect of our lives and father concerning the the teachings of the word and the teachings of the scriptures we want to thank you that you intend to build this church on the rock of your word a living rock which will draw hundreds, even thousands, into the kingdom, finding security, finding truth, finding liberty and freedom. Father, we thank you our gospel is not man-centered, but, is, but it begins in you, Lord, and is always good for us. Father, my prayer today for all of us is that you alone will be our portion and our cup. You will make our lot secure. And we will be able to say with the psalmist that the boundary lines have fallen for us in pleasant places and that surely we have a delightful inheritance. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.